Living Corporate is brought to you by Textio. Today's top talent is everywhere, representing everyone. And our work environment should reflect the level of inclusion to meet that standard. Textio achieves this in building more equitable company cultures through the language we use in our job postings. That culture is formed one hire at a time, making the words we use to reach more diverse candidates all the more important. Our advanced language insights and employer brand content is what drives our mission of inclusion. Through our industry-leading application of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're able to widen companies' reach in finding and building upon the very diverse talent that empowers a culture of belonging. Every door should be open to every qualified job seeker. Again, that's Textio. You know, it is our duty to fight for our freedom. And I don't understand people who have relinquished their freedom without a fight, without a plan, without some struggle. Um, it, I don't understand it and I do. I don't understand it from the depths of my soul, how a person can relinquish their own rights and freedoms uh, to other human beings other than, you know, fear and it being a trauma response. It's hard for me to understand people doing it willi- willingly. So what I have to do for myself is I have to believe that it's happening unwillingly. And I have to believe that people don't realize how they have relinquished their rights and they don't realize that we still have a system of slavery in this country. It's just set up differently whereas black people are put at the bottom, but there are other slaves as well, right? And so I think that there is a part where white people are going to have to accept their not only complicity in how things are, but more so their complicity in their own relinquishing of their own rights, their own freedoms. And, um, you know, ultimately they're going to have to decide what they believe in and what they're going to stand for and what's worth fighting. I thought about, you know, being brave and, you know, telling white people to do their research. And I thought about how those could be considered one-time acts or one-time events. And then that's when I thought, you know, you can't give up on this stuff. You can't give up. So, hey, hi, my name is Vonda Page. I'm the Radical Results Mentor for Leaders Looking to Level Up and Managers Making Moves. I'm the CEO of Radical Change LLC, a revolutionary change and advice firm for leaders. Um, And I'm also the curator of the Rolling Results Mentorship, which is an evergreen group coaching program specifically for leaders and professionals who, number one, are frustrated, fed up, and and literally, you know, fatigued um, with DEI and know that, you know, we need to come up with a new, they need a new direction for themselves and their own DEI destiny. And number two, leaders from emerging to experienced to exceptional who really want to level up and meet the moment. And for me, And I've explained, and I'm going to keep on talking about it until, you know, I see something different until the transformation is, is realized. But, you know, we have got to meet the moment and the leadership to date, let's face it, the last three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred, I don't know, 2000 years 
it's not really doing that great. It's not really doing that great. And when it comes to equality and when it comes to, uh, you know, um, black people, African diaspora people being considered as human beings, we have a really long way to go. And so the core mission of a radical change is to alleviate anti-blackness. And I know that that is a, you know, millennia old issue. And so I'm going to start with unpacking anti-blackness and move into unlearning anti-blackness as a general area, um, which I am going to uh, lead because we have got to, got to, got to, we have got to exit out of this stupor which we are in that has us just blindly accepting um, bad treatment. And I'm not just talking about as a black woman being the recipient of the worst of the worst of everything that the society has to offer. I'm talking about in general, and even, you know, if you want to get more specific, um, as a person, you know, capable of giving birth, right. Um, I have a different set of rights than people who are not capable of giving birth. And so these are things, right, that 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 must be addressed, that must be attacked, that must be fought for um, if we are truly going to have, you know, a, a society that's able to, you know, function where, where we don't have 95% of the population enslaved. And so you know, I, I want to help people kind of get it, but I know that we got so far before we get to that point because that's out of the realm, right, of most people's understanding because most people, I mean, I have to admit, frankly, right, most people don't have my background. They don't have my experience. They don't have my education. They don't have, you know, any of what I have, right, because I'm a unique individual just like every other person is a unique individual, and just like no one else has the unique uh, qualifications, the unique experiences, right, nor the unique circumstances of anybody else. And so I say all that to say that I am speaking all the time, right, from my perspective and my experience. And I'm going to let you know as a reminder, right, what that perspective and experience is. So first and foremost, I'm a 53-year-old black woman, and I was born in 1969 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I, you know, was extremely, I'm going to say fortunately positioned because of how my learning, how my growing up and my rearing and my experiences impacted my learning and impact who I am now today. If you would have asked me 10 years ago about my childhood, I would have been like, oh my God, it was so terrible. Um, other than my friends and other certain specific experiences. 20 years ago, I would have been like, you know, whatever. And I would have not really um, addressed it. I would not have talked about it. I would have been like, it was what it was. That's what I used to say all the time. I don't remember where that expression first came up. Probably some TV show. But I used to say, well, it was what it was. If somebody were to ask me, right? Uh, 30 years ago, if somebody were to say, you know, um, tell me about your childhood or whatever, I'd have been like, it ain't nothing to tell. I'd have been like, um, CLP is messed up. That's my mother's initials. And I would have just left it at that. Uh, 40 years ago. I would have just been uh, 13, right? And I would have been trying to uh, use every escape mechanism. So when I was in the house, I literally was 
you know, having out of body experiences and just existing there, right? To keep myself safe emotionally, because I guess from seven to maybe seven to 12 is when I didn't have safety. By 13, it was just, you know, emotional abuse and psychological abuse, which is a little different, right? Um, for those who have been abused, uh, a lot of times abuse happens in the full circle. Some, you know, a, a verbal and physical abuse happens together. Emotional, verbal, and physical abuse happens together. Uh, the psychological, emotional, physical, or verbal abuse happens together. But sometimes once the physical stops, right? Once the physical isn't necessary, they don't need the physical. So after the physical becomes unnecessary, then they just use the emotional or the psychological. Well, for me, the uh, psychological wasn't there uh, because I had already zoned out of those people and I had already decided in my mind that anybody who would treat me like this is a garbage person and their opinions and thoughts and and whatever they believe and stand for is really irrelevant to me because they're shit people, right? That was literally my thought. So they couldn't really do that. But what they could do is manipulate uh, circumstances and do things to put me in harm and greater risk and then try to gas me like gaslight me about it, which is what happened over and over again. And one of the reasons that I would still get, you know, uh, abused physically and hit later on in life was because I would always speak up for myself. And so I am not advocating for people to speak up in situations where they could potentially get hit and abused. I'm not advocating that at all. I'm, I'm sharing my experience. And so my experience was I refused at a very young age, probably the age of six or seven, uh, to be gaslit. And I talked about Mrs. Harris, my first grade teacher, who told me to use my voice. And she said, if you speak with a soft voice, people will conflate that or confuse that or mistake that for being shy and shy could be mistaken for a lot of things like weak, like, um, you know, like, like in a prey sort of a, a situation. And so you want to be able to project your voice, say what you mean, mean what you say, you know, be honest, have integrity, right? Uh, right. Be, be, be honest and have integrity. You're like, ask questions. Right. Um, and that was the kind of person I was. And so if you can imagine, right, being a very, very small child, physically small and young child, right, with zero power um, and imagine standing up to adults who are 25 and 30 years older than you and, of course, 100 pounds bigger than you and you getting hit around and pushed around and slapped around and it happens repeatedly. But I, for for whatever reason, right, something inside helped me know that it was for a greater good that I was standing up for myself, not what people did to me, but that me standing up for myself meant something. And even though I had no power, I had that power. So I want to invite you to, if you have young kids, or I don't want to say young kids, I'm, I don't know if that's a term is offensive. I always tell young people, I don't mean it to be, but kid to me is a super endearing term for people under the age of 30. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for if you have people in your life under the age of 30, especially um, black women under the age of 30, young black girls, tell them to tune into Shaping Young Minds on YouTube. That is my new series that um, the Shaping Young Minds organization asked me to do. So I'm doing Shaping Young Minds, um, right? Uh, mentorship Matters, right? With the Radical Results Mentor. And so I talked about you know, um, standing up for yourself, right? Even though it's hard and even though you're young and having and using your power. And I want to say that 
Yeah, that starts early. Yeah, that takes courage. Yeah, it takes conviction. Yeah, it takes commitment. Yeah, it takes um it takes some capacity. Yeah, and it damn sure takes competence. It doesn't really take a coalition to stand up for yourself, and it doesn't take culture. It doesn't take those two things. Um, but it definitely takes a conviction in who you are, and it takes a conviction in what you believe, standing up for what you believe is right. And so when I think about Jamila Woods and I think about Black Girl Soldier, right, you know, she's telepathic. Call her Black Girl Magic, yeah. But she scares the government because she's deja vu of Tubman, right? They was trying to capture and kill Harriet because she wanted to free the slaves. Why did Harriet want to free enslaved people? Because human beings shouldn't be in, in cages. They shouldn't be in chains, right? And so I know that most of us are in chains. And I know most of us don't know that we're in chains. But I also know that it is our duty to fight. And it is our duty to win. And we don't have anything to lose but our chains. So why don't we lose our chains, y'all? Like, just let's lose them, right? And so when white people, when y'all have had enough, you're going to lose your chains. But the way you're going to lose your chains is that you're not going to give up. And so what I want to get into today is not giving up on your research, not giving up on finding out who you are, not giving up on fighting your hardest, not giving up on getting to where you want to get to that you know is a better place. Not giving up when the giving up is easy, right? Not giving up when the giving up is how to get along, right? You know how they say go along to get along. But you got to not give up, right? She, she, she don't give up, right? Don't give up means that you're you going to understand and take your duty. You're going to take on your duty. Your duty is to fight and your duty is to win. Your duty is to win. And think about, you know, Mandiba said, I either win or I learn. So I look at it like I'm winning all the time. All I do is win, 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 no matter what, because I'm either winning or I'm learning. And so it doesn't matter what the lesson is because I'm not going to give up. And maybe, just maybe, right, I'm not going to give up because I'm a black woman and I don't have no choice. I don't have a choice because y'all trying to kill me and my child. You know, I thought about it and it was so freaking sad how I almost died four times in the, in emergency rooms in hospitals. Not on some, you know, alley, not in my own house, you know, not in a, a on a highway, crowded highway because the ambulance can't get to me in the ER in the ER because people just left me there because they didn't give a shit right and so I think about my daughter being in California and the fact that my daughter is dark skin you know makes me fight even harder for her because I understand colorism and I understand it so much more now than I did a year ago and so which goes to show right the evolution of learning right and 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 I had to learn things so intensely and intently, right, from the universe, forcing me into lessons over the last year that, oh, goodness. I mean, I know I'm still standing because I know I'm strong AF. I know I'm still standing because I got generations of ancestors behind me with all the stuff that has gotten poured into me that I'm 
you know, using and pouring out to the universe. So I know that's how I'm making it and all of that. But when I share in, in all of my books and my writings and my blogs, the experiences and things that I've gone through and people say, well, damn, how did you make it? I'm going to just tell you that's because I didn't give up. Because at each juncture, every time I wanted to give up, every time I felt like giving up, every time the giving up would have made me, the giving up would have been a release. The giving up would have been a relief. The giving up would have been time to relax. The giving up would have been just, I could have given up many, many times. And I did want to give up a few times and I've given myself a break. <laughs> in calling it giving up, but I never have given up. Even even recently on certain things when I just get tired, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? It's time to shift that portion of the strategy or to reevaluate the task associated to that strategy. But it's time to it's time to shift, right? But the bottom line is I'm never going to give up because I got Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and Jamila Woods and Nina Simone and Mary J. Blige and Jill Scott and Ida Bay Wells and Phyllis Wheatley and Frederick Douglass. I got all those people telling me, don't give up, telling me it's my duty to fight for my freedom. It's my duty to win. And I'm a win because my win is going to be that whether people hear one podcast or 151 podcasts, whether people read one article or they read a thousand articles, whether people read one page in one of my books or whether they read every page in all 10 of my books, it doesn't matter the impact that is going to be delivered and felt by my presence and my bravery and my boldness and my persistence and my stick-to-itiveness and my decision, my straight-up decision to not give up is what is going to be the thing that at the end of the day uh, is going to be the legacy of, you know, hey, this is what Vonda did, straight up. This is what Vonda did, Vonda, period. My name is Vonda Page. But I'm going to be that one name person, Vonda, right? Vonda, the Radical Results Mentor. Boom. Because I get to the root of how to get results. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. So this whole podcast, When White People Have Had Enough, right? This is a 30-episode series. And some of the episodes are, you know, like part one, part two, like this one. Episode nine is part one, part two about not giving up, right? Um, and, and, and part two is going to be more about the research. But I want to say thanks for joining. And when white people have had enough, you are going to be so persistent, right, that you're not going to give up. So I'm going to come back to you and hit y'all some more on part two. But hey, bye for now. Thanks so much. When white people have had enough. Live in Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond 
our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y.